This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into the Alana Inquirer podcast, and I don't want to go all John Rothstein here, but it is March. <laughs> it, it is March. It's here, and Illinois basketball enters March on the one seed line, though a huge week ahead, and your number one guy is day-to-day. We just chatted with Brad Underwood about that, but Jake Hansen is coming back. I didn't think that was actually a thing that could happen, but he got an NCAA waiver to pull his name out of the draft two months after declaring and more than a month and a half after the deadline for that. So Brett Bielema gets a boost. The sun is shining. The snow is melting. Good morning, Michael Carpenter. It is March. Oh, if you would have told me before the season started, a Big Ten title was top of my mind, but I'll trade a one seed for that. And you have it right in front of you. You know, you have a week where if you win one of these games, and we know which one's probably more likely of the two, if you win one of them, you have probably locked up that fourth one seed, regardless of what happens in the Big Ten tournament. So the fact that this team is in this position, and also, you know, for all the memorable wins that they've had this year, that Wisconsin one on Saturdays up there. I, I thought that there were so many things that we could unpack from that game, short-term, long-term for this team. And I, I noticed, by the way, I even got a shout-out in you and Joey's podcast. Yes. You guys went macro We first. went huge macro. You'd be so proud of us, Cart, because sometimes I feel like you miss the micro of these games. Like So when you're 9-5 sure. and five or you lose a game here uh, against Baylor, but you're for me at that point, you had so much youth and you competed with them for all but like a couple minutes. I'm like, I think this team's pretty good still. Like I was almost more encouraged after that Baylor game. The Maryland game, not so much, right? Like the Ohio State game, I thought, no, Ohio State's pretty good. I don't know if you're going to regret that loss uh, at the end of the year. But that game to me was all macro. To me, that was, you know, you found a way to win a sloppy, ugly, scary game when you didn't play your A game and you didn't have your star. Right, you, you found a way to win without the guy who's not going to be there next year. And for me, you know, we could talk about even for the short term. For me, like if Io has an off game or Kofi gets into foul trouble, you know, you have a program. Like you have other guys who can step up and make plays. And the theory, of course, going around is that should help them. Like, hey, Demonte Williams, maybe he's more aggressive. Andre Corbell, maybe he's more assertive offensively. Adam Miller, maybe more assertive offensively when Io comes back. But I just think for the long term, that just tells you, Brad Underwood's program, not going to be as good next year. Like, this is one of those great years. You know, we'll see what happens in the tournament, but this is one of the great years you're going to have. Like, Illinois doesn't get in contention for one and two seeds that often, even when they're really good, and they're not in conversations for the Big Ten Championship that often, even when they're really, really good. Like the 2000s, I just don't know if runs like that's going to happen again. So, but you're probably still going to have a team, Carp, that's going to be comfortable in the NCAA tournament, right? You're going to, probably going to have a team that's going to be in the top 25 for parts of the season or maybe most of the season. And I thought that was so encouraging. I just thought you, you had a tough minded 
program that has players who make plays. I spoke with Corey Bradford yesterday. Corey, I spoke with him <laughs> about his freshman year as he comes in, and he sat out a year, and he, that would have been the year that Illinois won the Big Ten title in 98 with all those seniors. And he said that that was an invaluable year for him. And he wasn't even playing at that point, but the words like culture and identity and things like that that John Gross is never quite able to figure out, it does feel as if there is a sort of you know mantra that this team and this program, they follow, regardless of the, if they're freshman or junior senior. And to see Andre Crabello, specifically to start with him, he's an alpha dog, and he will be plenty comfortable being the guy. And God knows he is the most marketable face on this team other than Iowa and Kofi, and I think for the foreseeable future, that's your face. And yep. he he loves that. I, I noticed today. He even said it today. Like he, that, yes. he he loves those. Like he loves big moments, and I think he really enjoys like press conferences. Carp. It's like you're talking to a 25 year old. Like mm-hmm. He he almost answers questions too long, so much that we couldn't get to our questions today in like 25 minutes with him because he's just he he he's a veteran. He's got a lot of maturity uh, to his approach, and he loves it. Like he wants that that shine. Yeah, which is great. And then Adam Miller, I think, you know, six points on Saturday, two or three shooting. And I wish he would have shot more, but he's a great rebounder. He's a really good defender. He's got a polish to his game right now and a confidence to his game that I think was maybe lacking a month ago. So the short-term, long-term benefits of this, short-term the next month, you got guys like Corbello and Miller that clearly feel more comfortable. You mentioned DeMonte, and as a fifth-year senior, you know, I it's amazing how it feels like he was so passive for about a month, and then the two games where Iowa's out, he goes for eight, he goes for 12. And he, he still has a great shot. He's still shooting 56% from three. Shoot it, DeMonte. And he is the step-back baseline 18-footer. What? I didn't know he had that in his arsenal. And he did it twice, uh, and he traveled twice, by the way. But he did it twice and found a way to hit it. And then that like old man like runner he's had the last two games – if he does that, like if he gives you when Io comes back, and we'll see. Brad said day to day, and there's Carp like there's an injury he could have suffered, right? And if you're in the concussion protocol, it's about a week, and mm-hmm. it's been a week since Michigan State, so I will not count that out. I don't know if I'm expecting him to play tomorrow, but I think there's a possibility. Maybe we'll see what happens. Kind of get that Penn State kind of flavor, but like when Io comes back, like if Demonte can give you five to seven. That's a, those are huge points that you haven't been getting for the past month. You know what's great about that win Saturday is you have a bit of a luxury now tomorrow night. Not Saturday at Ohio State. Saturday, you got to be fully healthy. you got to go out there and get that win if you want that one seed or if you want to lock it up without having to do work in the Big Ten tournament. But the game against Michigan, which I thought was maybe a long shot anyways, because I think rightfully so, they're number two in the AP poll now, right? They yeah. leapfrogged Baylor as they probably should. But that's not a game that you need. And it's a game where if IO doesn't play, we can sit. I feel rather unencumbered as a fan. I can watch it. How do we do? Probably going to lose, but it wouldn't surprise me the way this team's playing right now that if they compete for most of it. And I think that all this year, it's been easy, and myself included, to get sucked into these moments where they've been messy, where they haven't been good, and then kind of lose the forest for the trees, right? And say, well, wait a second. Really what this team's identity is is they have this toolbox of unique ways that they win games. And it isn't 0405 in terms of the efficient offense and clean basketball. It isn't 01 where every single night they show up, but they just lose a few. Yeah, I know it's more up and down, but they win more games than not in very unique ways. And I think that that may bode well for March, as long as you avoid the at Michigan State-like or the Maryland, the Ohio State-like performances. 
But it seems like when the lights are brightest, this team more often than not does respond. They're not the prettiest team, and that's okay. But even though they're like top 10 offensive efficiency, which kind of gets lost in the, in the know, shuffle, yeah. uh, 17th defensive efficiency. That's what I love. Um, they're, every night they play good enough defense, and that's what it was on Saturday. Except for the final two minutes where you survived one of the all-time unbelievable late barrages from Demetrius Trice, who made two easier shots that there were some defensive issues, but then made like three of them that you're just like, okay, this guy's just hitting everything. Yet you still made 10 free throws in the final 45 seconds by Curbelo and Frazier and Grandison. And that's, that's some balls there, Carp. Like there's some yeah. balls there to make those shots and to, to be confident in that moment. And for Williams to have that step back and be confident in that moment. And for the last two games, really to outplay two Big Ten teams. I know Nebraska's not good, and Teddy Allen's getting the heck out of there before the season's done, and Wisconsin is not great Wisconsin like we expected, but this is like those are two big wins um, for a team that could have gone the other way. Like, oh, we're without Io, man. This thing could fall apart. No, it didn't. Well, not just that, that after Tuesday night, the Big Ten title was essentially done. You know, and yeah. I think they knew it too. And I was worried about Thursday night. I thought Nebraska's bad enough where you're going to get a win. I don't care about style points. Just get the win, and we'll see when Io comes back. And then he won by 16, and he controlled that game. The Wisconsin game, 21 turnovers. They shot 21 more times than you did, and still you won. And I did see a few people, not, not, not a lot, but a few, after that Wisconsin game saying, oh, man, we almost choked it away. No, let's be clear. <laughs> that was not a near choke. That was a once. I've never seen a player, not even Reggie Miller, yeah. score 19 in two minutes, a banked three. The last one that he made over Adam Miller, you could not have defended it better and not foul him. Hand in his face, kind of had an arm around him too, no call, as there shouldn't have been. But And the one Trent was guarding him, banked in. Like, wh what are you going to do? Like, there were some breakdowns. And listen, it was a really sloppy 20 turnover game. You should have been up by 20 points in the first half, right? Which would have mm -hmm. been amazing. Uh, but the only thing holding you back was the turnovers. So there are things you can pick apart. But after a game like that, without Io, you go on the road. And Carp, you know, Lante knows the mm -hmm. house of horrors that is Cole Center. And I know there's not fans there. But to get a win there, that's a monster quad one win, and that ain't going away. And it just kept you in this mix to where, man, if you can pull off one of these wins this week, I think it's massive. I, I mean, Michigan, even with Iocarp, and if he comes back as a masked man, what a what a moment that's going to be on uh, national television if he's able to play. Uh, but even if he doesn't, um, it's going to be tough uh, to, to beat Michigan regardless. I just think, I think if I had a bracket right now, I'd probably put Michigan in the title game. Um, probably with Gonzaga. I really think Gonzaga is good, but I, I think I'm leaning towards Michigan winning just because they have no holes, no holes on that roster. But Ohio State, man, um, that team can beat Illinois as they showed. But when they were on this run, I kept going, Chris Holtman's doing a hell of a job because that's a good team with good players, and EJ Liddell is turning into a great player. But unlike Iowa, unlike Illinois, unlike Michigan – I just don't think they have that top five talent or, or even top three talent in the Big Ten. Uh, and, and I think it's starting to show a little bit. And I think their youth is starting to show. They need Dwayne Washington to be great because he's the one guy that can kind of go off scoring-wise. I think they're beatable, e even if Iowa weren't to play. But I think with the time they have, I think Iowa will be in that game. So that's the one I have, I have circled this week.
Yeah, and I don't want to be a, cre- a prisoner of the moment and look at the Iowa game at Ohio State yesterday and say, well, Ohio State stinks now. They don't. They're probably going to be a two-seed regardless of yeah. what happens, and they deserve it because of all the big wins. But, you know, three-game losing streak. And th- another reason why the Wisconsin win was so big for Illinois, because if you lose that, you know, I don't care how good the opponents are. You don't want to potentially lose three in a row, and that would have been on the table if you didn't beat Wisconsin. So you avoided that. Meanwhile, with Ohio State, I think you hit it on the head there where E.J. Liddell is a very good player, borderline, first-team All-Big Ten. I know he's going to get some votes for it. Washington, really good score. Um, And then you got all these nice pieces. But this is starting to look like the Ohio State team of early January. And when you talk about teams peaking, it's not who you play, it's when you play them. And we got them on the upswing in January as we were sort of in this malaise uh, in mid-January. And now I think that the tables may flip a bit. I also love the fact that you get a game on Tuesday. They don't play all week. There is no palate cleanser for Ohio State. There is no get-right game. Essentially, they sit for six days, and it doesn't get any easier for them after the Iowa game. And meanwhile, we have a challenge where easy for me to say as a fan that I can go into the Michigan game saying, ah, whatever. You know, if you compete, I'm happy. And that is the truth. That is the truth. But I get the feeling that this team, that's that could be another confidence builder, even without a win tomorrow night at Michigan. And just... I, I just like the way that this week sets up for that Saturday afternoon. It just so happens, Carp, that Illinois has its best team in 15 years and Michigan has its best regular season team ever. Yeah. I, I, this, this, this Michigan team surprised me that they were able to find upgrades over Teske, upgrades over Xavier Simpson, and they are just loaded. I, like one through five and six, because Sean D. Brown comes off the bench and probably would start for Illinois if he would have come here. Um, pretty amazing what they've been able to put together this year so i agree you go in with no pressure tomorrow even though you are fighting for a number one seed no one's expecting them to win even though they are the number four team in the country going against the number two team um you know if Iowa returns even if he did i still think illinois is a a five-point underdog um i think kempom has him as a seven-point underdog and i think that would assume io desumu uh would be available in this game so you got nothing to lose and and everything to gain possibly to to lock up a number one seed before you even play ohio state yeah, it's, it would take a Herculean effort, and what will be fun to settle in is that you know 10% chance. If Iowa doesn't play, let's call it a 10% chance, and let's say if he does play, one in three chance of maybe squeezing the upset out up in uh, Michigan. But I think the things that you, the bigger things we could take away from tomorrow, assuming that Iowa doesn't play, and you're right, it could be the Penn State situation, and if so, the nation will be watching, and that will be a moment. That will be a moment regardless of what happens, but. I'm most excited to just kind of see more of what we saw Saturday, where you get Corbello out there for 30 minutes a game because you have to, where you get Adam Miller continuing to do what he does. And just in terms of matchups, the Dickinson-Coburn matchup is amazing. It's going to be super fun. How confident are you in that one? How confident are you in winning that one? I think it's going to be a draw. I think that Dickinson is the more well-rounded player, right? But he's not quite the physical specimen that Kofi is. I think they're both going to get theirs, yeah. essentially. But I think you guys made the point on your podcast Saturday, because after that win, I just you just absorb all the Illini content you can. So I'm listening to that, just reveling in the victory. And I think about 40 minutes in, Joey might have said, oh, yeah, Kofi, right. <laughs> we gloss over a 19-7 and performance. That's a eh, ho-hum Saturday for Kofi Coburn. I'm really excited to see him and Dickinson go against each other. And I think that Kofi is, in the last two games, I'm very impressed with having to be the lead producer on offense. He's stepped into it with no problem. It's hard not to envision him for a junior season being that guy, isn't it? 
Like it, it's hard not to, and he's got a decision. He'll he'll declare as he should get his feedback, but it's hard not to envision, you know, what he could be as the lead guy. And I think he's shown the last two games he can be that on a really really good team. And if he and Curbelo are together with Miller, uh, and, and you know you add these other pieces around, and maybe you go out a transfer like Namari Burnett, that's a top ten team. I mean, that, that's a team that can compete uh, at the top of the Big Ten. I don't know if they'll win, given what Michigan is, given what Ohio State is. And Michigan State, I think, should be pretty good next year. And Purdue is probably returning everybody basically next year, um, which we don't think about Purdue enough. I don't think we talk enough about what Purdue is. Fourth in the Big Ten. Fourth yeah, in the Big Ten. What they're doing right now is pretty amazing. Matt Painter should get Coach of the Year votes. Juwan will get it, but uh, Matt Painter should get it. But I think – that's kind of the reminder. The one thing I worry about with Kofi a little bit more is the foul trouble that he's had here a little bit recently. And then two, he's been a little frustrated, understandably so. But I think tomorrow night he's going to get one-on-one battles, which I'm interested to see who wins that. I think it's it's a pretty even matchup, which says a lot about Hunter Dickinson uh, because both those guys I think are playing at an All-American level. Yeah, I, I think that that is one reason I'm more looking forward to tomorrow because Michigan's so big that defensively they can just go one on one. You got Livers at six seven, you got Eli Brooks at six five. I know they, the point guard is, um, you know, five ten. Doesn't matter, he's amazing. But the length is the one thing that really concerns me yep. about Michigan, and and that goes for any matchup that you'd have in the NCAA tournament. And when we talk about, you know, I, I know Sean Harrington has said this, Corey Bradford has said this, that seating doesn't matter as much as the matchups, and that's true. I do think, though, that if we're looking further down the road in the NCAA tournament, it's really this simple. You get a win this week because you want to avoid Michigan, Gonzaga, or Baylor in a potential Elite Eight matchup. That's it. And I look at anyone else on the two line and think, I'll take those guys over the top three because it is one, two, three, and then everybody else get in line, Illinois included. So, yeah, it's it's a situation that is it's easy for me to say not playing in the game tomorrow, but I can sit back, relax and see what happens. I, I'm sure it's different in the locker room. I know that Underwood walked back a little bit the comment he made about, hey, we're going to play who they give us, and we aren't going to back out of anything. Talked about all the respect in the world for Michigan today, but I bet there's a little bit of juice in that locker room for Illinois for tomorrow night. I do think he's given a little juice to Michigan, too, just just to be yeah, honest with you. That's okay. Um, that's okay. Which, uh, I mean, I could tell he was frustrated. That's why I asked, what are your frustrations? Like, exactly what are your frustrations? And I get it from his – that was a tough week, man. Uh, that was a really tough week to to lose to Michigan State. Uh, to th- those fouls that weren't called for your best player to get hurt on what was a dirty play, and for the Big Ten not to suspend Sissoko for that, as as far as we know, I think he sat or last say or, or say anything. Yeah, or say. No, anything. and that's that's where I think the last flagrant two, if I recall, was Alan Griffin, and there was a statement whether it came directly from the commissioner or the Big Ten office, but there was a statement and there was a suspension. And yeah, and and I, I'm going to get into it. I, I recorded a podcast with Ira Weintraub, and he explains the the Michigan part of it, that this was more the Big Ten rescheduling the Nebraska game before Michigan was cleared to come back. But at the same point, like, it just looked bad. Like, and I think the communication from the Big Ten has been so awful that it makes Michigan look bad here, and it makes them look like they're ducking Illinois at the time. Illinois is playing great, and Michigan could have looked like Baylor coming back. But credit to Michigan, they haven't. Right? Like, they, they haven't. And they've been fantastic ever since then. I do want to add this, Carp. Um, Iowa is streaking towards a one seed right now. Like if Illinois falls twice here, Iowa is the team to look out for. And right now they aren't there. They're the number three 
or top uh, three on, seed I on, on the twos two line they're they're in the top three there right but they are ending the season the february fran talk again was way too premature They've beaten Rutgers, Wisconsin, Michigan State, which now looks like a good win, Penn State at home, now Ohio State, and I think they're going to win their last two games. That's going to give them at least one more quad one win, and I think they're going to go into the Big Ten tournament as a top three seed and be a very dangerous three seed, and hopefully it's Illinois and Iowa uh, in that Big Ten semifinal uh, in the tournament there, but they quickly are making a, a beeline for – for that one seed. So if Illinois slips up twice this week, I think Iowa is in a decent position um, to, to possibly get in front of Ohio state and Illinois. Keep him at arm's length. That would be a buzzkill. And, and if you get the good matchups in the two and you happen to be in, well, I guess they would probably not put Illinois in that in the big 10 teams region. So that no, but you would likely play them Saturday in the big 10 tournament. If this holds, and I'd love it. I actually think it's a favorable matchup for Illinois. I think it has been the last two years where Iowa's strength is that when they get hot, good luck. And you have they pretty, can beat anybody. Pre, yeah, right. And, but you have pretty good perimeter defense. And that's one thing where I think your athletic guards, um, Iowa is not super long. They aren't uh, that much bigger than you are. So that actually, I'll, I'm so glad to have locked up that two seed because you look at the path even for Michigan. And the way those seedings are kind of set up now, I'm pretty sure that a Michigan State would be up there, or Purdue, which I want no part of Purdue right now. Yeah. I, I really just don't want part of a Matt Painter team at this point of the year. And I know it looks easy for Iowa to win the next two, but I'm still holding out that sliver of hope that we get a little February Fran. And I thought yesterday when Ohio State got within four, I yeah. thought, well, here we go. I just don't think I just don't think Wisconsin has it in them right now, man. Like I, I probably not. You know, outside yeah. of that Trice thing, they looked awful. They looked awful against Illinois, and they they just look mentally weak right now, which is odd to say about a Wisconsin team. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, if, if it holds right now, if the standings held right now, you'd be in the same side of the bracket as, what, Wisconsin, Maryland, Rutgers, and Indiana? I you'd believe. get the winner as it holds, and it Some may not hold. That's a thing. But, you know, Rutgers, Indiana, I'll take that over, let's say, the winner of the Michigan State. Um, I think it'd be Maryland. Yeah, I don't. Again, I don't want either of those teams. And frankly, I don't want Michigan State for a couple of reasons. I think it's a bad matchup for the length that they have, and also for the fact that something bad always happens when you play them. So I, the Big Ten tournament is an afterthought to me. If we got a one seed right there uh, staring you in the face, whatever happens next weekend is really just a cherry on top. And you can make it that way. And I think if not a hundred percent, lock it in, get close by beating Ohio State. Now, if, if Iowa wins out, and that includes a win over you in the Big Ten tournament. Then it gets interesting, but we'll cross that bridge, I guess, if we get there. Isn't it amazing? Like, we've had all of this roller coaster along the way, Carp, and no one expected Michigan to be this good. But yeah. it's Illinois and Iowa fighting for a number one seed, in my opinion. Like, maybe Ohio State gets back into that if they beat Illinois, but it's pretty fitting, right? Like, those two rivals could be fighting for it in the Big Ten tournament. That's, that's awesome. That's what we expected coming into this year. Yeah, and now that you're four, is probably a two when you look at the other teams that continue to lose beneath you. Villanova with a bad loss at Butler. I know they were vying for a two seed. So you have a little bit of cushion. And the other thing, too, is we could look at the schedule and say, oh, man, at Michigan, at Ohio State, and potentially a game against Iowa in the Big Ten tournament. Even this week, it'd be so easy to say, you know what? 0 oh, 2. I don't like these matchups. I don't like our chances. I think that's doing a disservice for what this team has done 
over these 24 games. There Crap, have been you those are moments the, where you, you are the voice of reason, man. Like, I, like this, turned this, over this, newly. this like step back and like enjoying the moment. It's, it's, it's amazing to watch. It's coming from a, oh. a source I didn't expect though. I gotta be honest. <laughs> well, you know, I got to set a good example for Isaac and Trevor. They're 11 years, my junior. And for, here's the other cool thing too, is for you as someone covering the team, this has to be a unique thrill because you haven't, you will likely get some major excitement and cool things to cover in March that you haven't been able to before. Maybe John Gross's first year, they probably should have went to a Sweet 16, but I digress. With these younger guys, they haven't really had a team to call their own. For me, 89 was, I was too young. Right. I heard about it. And until 0405, it's kind of like the 85 Bears thing we talk about. I didn't experience it. So eventually I got tired of hearing about yes. it. So for these younger guys, 0405, they were in second or third grade. It didn't mean as much to them. And now they get their own moment, I hope. And that's where, you know, not to harp on this one C thing again, but I know you don't hang a banner for it, but that's a tangible thing that you remember getting that one seed. And uh, just the idea of waking up Selection Sunday and feeling like you got that locked in and then seeing that name pop up a year after you had the NCAA taken away. And I thought, man, a six seed would be great. We're it, talking a one seed. It's incredible. It, it, that is a good way to put it that a new generation has their team, right? And like a new generation of people in Chicago get to talk about Illinois basketball and get to think about, oh, they're, they, they have a good history. And then they start hearing about Dean Darren and then the 89 final. On it. It's just, I mean, this is fantastic publicity for your program. Even if you lose at Michigan, uh, this is a ESPN game where you get this national audience and Illinois is going to be one of the major stories um, going into this. And, and I would assume returning with a mask on is, is one of the major stories and Kofi Coburn and these, these freshmen coming up, it's finally you're back into that. And yeah, there's a lot of younger people, even on the beat that I'm with, that that didn't experience that. Um, the one the one hard part, Carp, is not a lot of us are going to be able to cover the NCAA tournament. That that's that's yeah. the shame. Is a lot of fans aren't going to be able to experience it on the road at these games. Uh, a lot of us media won't be able to cover it, but we still get to watch this, and it's still the fact that we're here, you know. And it's I was thinking about this. I was going to ask Brad this later this week. It's about a year ago today you know, or a year ago next week that the NCAA tournament was canceled. And I think all of that and not having that team and not allowing Andres Felice to have that moment, not seeing Io DeSumo potentially wave goodbye with a sweet 16 run, right? Um, I think that's made us all more appreciative of being able to watch this, being able to talk about this like we are and, and just to experience this season, even if it's not the same kind of season. I was watching the halftime, or right before the Iowa-Ohio State game, the CBS theme comes on, dun, 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 and like chills. Because I can, I can picture two weeks from what would have been yesterday, I can picture that moment at 5 o'clock on that Sunday, music starts, and oh my God, it's back. It's back. And not only is it back, but it, you know, when we talk about Illinois basketball, I think as a fan base, we often feel as if, I say we, like I'm not lumping you in there, but you know, as a fan base, there's this borderline inferiority complex or I should say this Murphy's law thing where we always feel like whatever can go wrong will go wrong and it's easy to fall in that hole but keep it in mind you know not not putting a silver lining on a once in a hundred years pandemic but what that ultimately led to was another full season with Iota Sumu it is leading potentially to a one seed in the tournament and it's leading to a much better chance to make a deep tournament run than you would have had last year I'm not going to call it a silver lining given the gravity of what the pandemic is. But 
you know, for an Illinois fan base where, you know, 0405, oh, let's go to Indy, Chicago, St. Louis. Sometimes all the chips fall into place. You mentioned the, you know, not many people being able to cover it in person, not many people being able to go over in Indy, but I can guarantee that the people that are in that stadium, it's going to be the Illinois fans that are paying 500 bucks on secondary markets so they can get a nosebleed ticket at Bankers Live Fieldhouse. It is going to be a pro Illini crowd in every single game they play over there. So, you know, all, all the stars are aligning in the most roundabout, weirdest way possible for this team. And I wish it hadn't taken something that dramatic yeah. to do that. But I think that's one more reason to just kind of um, focus on how lucky of a position it is to be here in the first place. And to wrap this up, Carp, I do want to talk about Jake Hansen here for a second. Yeah. Because... There's another part of this, like you hate to say silver lining of a pandemic that has killed 500,000 people in this country, right. right? We're not losing sight of that, but he's returning despite declaring for the draft two months ago. Like somebody asked me about that possibility this morning. I'm like, that's not possible. No, it is. I was wrong. Uh, there's a, he got a waiver to come back and Brett Bielema, instead of taking over a program that would absolutely, in my opinion, and a roster be at the bottom of the Big Ten. He returns 15 super seniors for an extra year of eligibility. And most of those guys are starters and key players on your team. We could go down the list. It's your starting quarterback, Brandon Peters. You have three starting offensive linemen who are returning, all who have had all Big Ten honors at some point. Isaiah Gay and Owen Carney. Carney entered the transfer portal, and then he came back. Uh, Jake Hansen's an all Big Ten player, your top playmaker on defense. Tony Adams, and then all your specialists, right, including one of the best punters in the game in Blake Hayes. You get all that back for an extra year where I don't know if it means you're making a bowl game, but instead of being by far, I think, the, the, the bottom team in the Big Ten West, all of a sudden you have a very competitive roster in year one for Brett Bielema where you can have a decent season, whether that's five and seven with some close games or making a bowl game or getting seven wins or something like that. You have like a jumping off you know, spot that's way better than some previous you know, starts to tenures we've seen. Oh, God. I, the first years of Beckman, of Ron Turner, of Ron Zook, I think he had a combined five wins. Probably four, because I think Ron Turner was winless, and then the Cubit year was sort of its own thing. Lovey was three and nine, and I thought mm -hmm. Lovey and Beckman actually had some pieces, and they, sure it they just did. didn't work. Yeah, well, I mean, Beckman had basically the entire defense back from a top 10 defense nationally or top 20. But, yeah, I think that... It, it, it's tricky. When we talk about sports, these are for fans a diversion and it's entertainment for the most part. Uh, and it pales in comparison to the larger things going on. But out of all the athletic programs that have been maybe hurt or hamstrung by something like this, talk about making, you know, lemonade out of lemons for Illinois basketball and football. And it, it is a rare position. I, you know, all these things, I was actually thinking about if Lovey had not beaten Wisconsin and he gets fired. You know, and you go into this coaching search a year early going into COVID-19, you have a new coach and then the COVID-19 impact year happens and then you're just kind of stagnant, right? There's no way that you really could have done much of anything. Well, no, instead you bring Lovey back and now you have Brett Bielema, a proven commodity as your head coach. Not not saying it's a guarantee it's going to work out, but man, at the end of the day, as Illini fans, it's very easy to go down this sort of rabbit hole of, ah, oh, God, we got screwed again. Io got a broken nose and we got screwed well, I tend to view it as, yeah, broken nose sucks, but it happened in the third week of February, not the third week of March. Yeah. He's back. We're going to be fine. So I, 
I have turned over a new Look leaf. Look at this. I, how zen am I? How I zen? It's crazy. You get the vaccine, <laughs> ha- have a rough day or two carp, and then you're right back on it. Hey, I mean, at the end of the day, though, and, and then you just lump in all the optimism just beyond sports. Right. I mean, this will be a summer where you can hang out with people again. And even for some people based on you know, how your family is, who's vaccinated. There's going to be a selection Sunday where I'm hoping to be able to go to my parents' house, get the monocles, French dressing on the side, settle in like I did back in 04, 05, the last time that Illinois got a one seed on selection Sunday. So there's all these markers that are like, wait a second, you know, it's going to be okay. And for this Illinois basketball team specifically, I think there are more signs than not that they'll find a way. And I'm not saying national title. I'm not even saying final four, but I, I am more and more confident, especially after the last two games with what the supporting cast did, that this team is not going to flame out. No. They they will probably end the season with a loss, but I would be surprised if it were one of those all-time Austin P kind of moments. Carp, happy March. Uh, it's it's a happy March to start this with yeah. Illinois fighting for a one seed, Jake Hansen back. And, and enjoy, I know we're not there, and we got pods before that, but enjoy that selection Sunday. That sounds like a good time. Absolutely, and I'm going to enjoy this week. And hey, tomorrow night, whatever happens, happens. And in your gut, I know no inside information yeah. or anything, but in your gut, I'm telling myself Io's not going to play. Yeah. But in my gut, I'm like, eh, probably. Uh, Carp, or Derek Piper will be there. And I'm going to tell him to get there early because mm-hmm. uh, I'm wondering if, if he'll be working out kind of like he did against Penn State, just seeing if he's good to go. Um, you know, maybe the doctor said already ruled this out. And from everything I heard, it's, it, it was unlikely that he would play against Michigan. But you never know. I mean, Brad Underwood said day to day today and he sounded more optimistic. And when he was asked, like, hey, could Io benefit from this time off? He said, we'll see. We'll see. And that, that's about it. So Very just, cryptic. Yeah, so just leaving some crumbs there. Uh, but I think it adds a lot more drama, the, the possibility he could come back. But I'd be surprised if he wasn't available for Ohio State. Yeah, uh, it'd be a cherry on top at this point. And then feeling pretty confident that Saturday would happen. I thought it was encouraging that he went to Wisconsin in the first place. Yes, absolutely. Carp, have a great week, man. I'll talk to you next week. All right, week. you too. Sounds good. We'll see you. That's Mike Carpenter. Fantastic, as always. When we come back, and I forgot to tease this earlier on, uh, Ira Weintraub, WTKA in Ann Arbor. I talked to him about what a fantastic team Michigan has turned into. I think we're all surprised at how good they are this season and what Jawan Howard has done to build them up to that level. And yes, we talk about the postponement and uh, Brad Underwood's recent words about uh, seemingly veiled about Michigan and not playing that game. You'll hear that coming up next from Ira Weintraub, WTKA in Ann Arbor. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. Baseball has begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Samphill, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. 
All right, let's get insight into the likely Big Ten champion and a surprise Big Ten champion, even though this program has been one of the best programs in the Big Ten. Uh, but let's talk about the Michigan Wolverines. The AP poll, as I'm recording this, is not out yet, but I would imagine Michigan gets some one votes. Uh, I would imagine they'll finish number two right now this week after Baylor lost and Michigan won more games. And uh, let's talk with our guy Ira Weintraub, WTKA in Ann Arbor. He's been my pulse on Michigan basketball for a long time but I got to ask Ira on the morning show today what's the bigger topic is it Michigan getting a transfer quarterback or is it that the Wolverines might have the best basketball team in the country so that's a really interesting question it's kind of threefold because you missed one they also got a five-star cornerback commit out of the Detroit area which is a big-time Getty picked Michigan over Ohio State and some other school I mean he picked them over every school but he picked it specifically over Ohio State and a few others I mean I would say right now the way I'm a big basketball guy and you yeah. know that I've, I grew up, I love basketball. So for me, it is basketball because you're in basketball season, but football team has uh, yesterday was the fourth day of uh, spring practice. I don't know how you call it spring practice when there's that much snow on the ground, but it's, it's kind of a split. Like the news about the quarterback was important because they needed depth in the quarterback room. The cornerback commit was huge. He's probably the biggest get that they're going to get in this class for many different reasons. But I, to me, nothing is bigger than Juwan Howard's squad about to be ranked number two in the country and one win away from winning the Big Ten Championship. Yeah, and I have to be honest, Ira, when I was up in Ann Arbor, it was one of my, I, I think back to road trips. I used to make road trips <laughs> covering basketball. And after Illinois and Iowa DeSumo won at Michigan last year, I started to collect these doubts about Juwan Howard. Admittedly, they're premature, right? I always thought when they hired him, he's got a really high ceiling. But he was 11-8, and 2-6. and six. Things just didn't seem to be going well and gelling well. And let's face it, he was replacing a legend in John Beeline that I know you and I have such high respect for. But since that game where Io had that ridiculous shot over Xavier Simpson, he is 21-5 and five in the Big Ten. Um, what's led to this turnaround? He's a great coach. And uh, he brought – so it does help, as you talked about with John Beeline. So Juwan didn't have to create a culture, a good culture, right? He inherited a great culture. But he wanted to create his own culture with, you know, that started with that as the basis. But he also had the Miami Heat background as his basis. And – that's the thing that really people I think undersold or under didn't understand is he was one of their main guys as a defensive coordinator, as a coach, he helped basically coach up bam to the level of that bam became as a big man in the NBA. So he's a big man coach. You see that with Hunter Dickinson. Yeah. He was an egghead in, you know, as a, as a player, he was an egghead as the longtime bench guy. And then eventually as assistant coach, the questions that we had weren't about coaching acumen or anything like that. It was just about how he hadn't been in college in 20 something years, you know, in any aspect. So we had those questions too. We didn't know what was it going to be like for him to, with recruiting. Would he be good at it? We probably knew the answer was yes, but would he be good at it in the context of the commitment of time and effort and energy? And a guy that's made as much money in the NBA as he has, you don't have to put that kind of energy in, but Jawan, he works really hard. He loves his kids. He's a really smart guy. And he brought a lot of really smart X's and O's. He kept that the ones that were here, but he also brought a lot with them. And there's, there's a lot of things that go into this. And it helps that he has a really talented team. And it helps that he went out and brought in two uh, uh, transfers uh, to come in. Mike Smith from an Ivy League school who won four games all last year. But the kid's obviously very talented and he's hungry to win. And Sean D. Brown, who's an excellent six man, who's super athletic, can shoot the, the, you know, the lights out from outside. And he came from a Wake Forest program that, he went there expecting them to be good. They weren't. So he has no experience of being on a good team. He's hungry to win. So you add 
a lot of experience that's on the team of players that are really good, bringing in good players that are really hungry to win and having a really good coach who also has good assistant coaches around him. It's just a really good combination. Yeah, and I felt like even saying that I was a little higher on Michigan than some because I think I had them fifth in my preseason poll. But my big questions were, I mean, you knew Franz Wagner and Isaiah Livers were really, really good players. But my questions were at point guard and center because they lose Xavier Simpson, they lose John Teske. But they seem to have upgraded both. I don't think any of us saw that coming. Um, Let's start with Hunter Dickinson. You mentioned him, the the freshman center. He was a highly ranked recruit, but he's among the best players in the country this year. What makes him so effective and what's made him so effective right away? Feet, hands, and IQ. I mean, he's got great feet. If you watch his footwork, you know, he's a freshman, so there are moments, but you see his footwork, it's great. He's got great hands, his ability to catch a pass, to grab a rebound, but also to make a pass. So that IQ and the vision, he is, and we've had a lot of conversations about this and we can kind of make comparisons with Kofi versus Hunter on the inside. Hunter is really good about kicking the passes out and finding open guys. He doesn't have a ton of assists, but he's got a ton of hockey assists. Mm -hmm. He's got a lot of those if you actually track those. And we go back and Kofi doesn't kick the ball out a whole lot when he gets the ball double team, right? There's a, and I think there's a, that's a big part of what Hunter brings to the table is that high IQ to go along with a really good skill set. He came in expecting to be good and we thought he'd be good. We did not expect him to be at this level this quickly. And he's also better on the defensive end than we expect him to be this early. But he gets one on one coaching from Juwan Howard. I mean, it goes back to that where Juwan coached Bam with the Heat. I mean, even when Juwan was a player, he was coaching guys on the roster. And then he became an assistant coach and he brings that with him. So you get elite big man training with a big man that comes in that was obviously fairly polished coming out of a DeMatha program that's, you know, usually brings out pretty good players. And so Hunter brings all those. And John Teske was a really good player. He was a fun player. He was a fine player. But he his floor or sorry his ceiling is kind of seems like what Hunter's floor was when he got here. Not we weren't expecting that, but that's kind of what it looks like once he started getting going in the Big Ten season. No, oh, yeah. And then on the other, and then when it comes to you know, and I, I'm not a big comparing guys. I love Xavier Simpson. My seven year old loves Xavier Simpson. She's she misses him being out there, even though Mike's a great player. Mike's a different kind of player. So Mike did not come in with the defensive. Um, chops that Xavier had while he was here, but he has really gotten better at that. And he bought into playing defense and that's allowed him to stay on the floor. Cause that was a question about Mike Smith was it's not super tall. He does not come in with a lot of pedigree with being a pass first guy. And he hasn't had to play a ton of defense. He was also on really bad teams. Mm-hmm. So what, how would that translate to coming to Michigan? And he and Juwan had conversations before he ever made the commitment. And he's like, I want to be a part of the team. I want to, I want to show that my skills are not just, putting up 20 shots a game because that's what he had to do at Columbia. He wanted to fit in with a team. And so he brings a guy that while he only shot 30 or so percent from three at Columbia, well, he was chucking because he felt like he had to here. He could be much more methodical. And when he, you know, in shot selection and he is bought into every aspect of what Michigan's offering. You go from Columbia to Michigan, like you are going to buy into everything they are that they're showing you because you want to maybe play overseas or nothing else. You want to play in the NCAA tournament and maybe try to go beyond and so what he brings, it's a different skill set than Xavier Simpson. I love X, yeah. but X couldn't step back and hit a three more than once or twice a season. It's just that wasn't his game. He could lock you down. You may not get a whole lot going against him, but he also was a shorter guy, so he couldn't do that against six foot four, six foot five guys. Smith still has that height issue, but Smith can get the offense going. He can really trigger the offense. He can do the pick and roll game, and he can step back and hit a three. So when the if the time is there on the end of a shot clock and he can't get the ball to somebody else, he can make that shot. And so, yeah, they have upgraded at point guard and center. 
while the other guys have all gotten better too. Right. And then Shawnee Brown, you mentioned him. Illinois was uh, in the mix on him. They really wanted to bring him in. What's he added to Michigan? Kind of, as you said, uh, probably is the, the best six man in the Big Ten. I am. That's a, that's the biggest get for them, I think, of all of them. And he, mm-hmm. think about this. There was at one point in time, people were thinking that Nogel Eastern was transferring from Purdue to Michigan. I don't know if you remember that. But I do, yeah. If Nogel comes here, more than likely, Shondi's not here. Maybe he's in Illinois. He's not here. And uh, no Joel Eastern, I mean, he, you and I are better jump shooters than he is. And, uh, you know, that's – I don't I have no idea how good of a jump shooter you are. Good, I know how bad good. of a jump shooter I am. It doesn't fit with this team. You don't need that. It's been shown now. What you need is you need shooters around, you know, and guys that can shoot the ball and play defense. Three and D guys. It's an NBA thing, right? It's a basketball thing now. Three and D guys. That's what Sean D. Brown is. He's a three and D guy. And he can also – He's got a little bounce in his step, so he can get the ball to the, you know, take it to the basket. The starting lineup is really, really good, right? So with Smith and Brooks in the backcourt, you've got really solid college guards up front. You know, obviously with Livers and Wagner, you've got two future NBA guys that you know first round picks, maybe even this year. Hunter Dickinson down the road, we can have that conversation too. So you got three NBA guys in the front. What else was this team missing? What it was missing was, you know, kind of a, a defensive stopper that's about six six. Missing a guy that can just shoot the, you know, the, you know what out of the basketball and just be out there. And whether it's playing 15 minutes or 35 minutes or anywhere in the middle was not going to complain about role, was just going to be a part of that team, uh, the philosophy and do play that role. And he does. And there are games where they need him to play guard for extended minutes because of whether it's foul trouble or Eli Brooks misses a game. Or you just need more a, a taller guard in the backcourt. Maybe you're going against a team that has a six foot five guard that you want him to be on for a longer set of a game. He gives more flexibility. He allows you to go. That's your six man. Brandon Johns and Austin Davis give you your seventh and eighth guys. And now you've got a really solid rotation of a really good basketball team. I've always been such a big fan of Franz Wagner's ceiling. Uh, coming into the year, I thought he'd be in the the Big Ten Player of the Year voting, and um, you know maybe he's going to be in the first team consideration. I think some people will consider him there just because of the impact he makes on both ends. But who is the better NBA prospect? This is just a fun conversation because they're both really good, right? Is it Wagner or Livers? Better NBA prospect? Yeah. Wow. Um, I would probably go with Franz right now. Um, Franz's length is freaky. He's like six eleven. Like he's maybe he's six nine or six ten, but they keep saying that they've measured him at six eleven. So maybe it's not that he's, but his arms are really long. And what you, if you're watching the last couple of games, there are times where it looks like he gets beat to the basket on the baseline. And one time he just from behind he just blocks the shot. The next time, same thing. He just reaches from behind and blocks the shot. The third time, this was in the Iowa game. I think it was Bohan and takes he gets like three steps, and then he looks and he just stops, and then he kicked the ball back out. He never even thought about going in for a layup because Franz is going to block it from behind. His ability to block passing lanes, block shots, his IQ, his Euro step, he's got so many skills. I think that in the long run, he is the better NBA prospect, but I think they're both really good NBA prospects because Livers is really bought into playing. We talked about this this morning, actually. Livers is really bought in with Juwan to playing defense and becoming an all-around player, and he is a really good shooter, and he can can put the ball on the floor a little bit. And years ago, I worked with the great John Thompson, and Coach told me, if you can do one thing elite, you can work on everything else. But if you can do one thing elite, I'll start with that, whether it's bringing you from high school to college or from college to pro, right? And sometimes you can be just super well-rounded like a Wagner and you're going to be a lottery pick. And sometimes you can be elite. Do you ever think Duncan Robbins would be an NBA player? Right. Probably not. But he is an elite shooter, right? And so you can work with that and then you go from there. 
And Isaiah Livers is at the, he's an elite shooter. He can shoot the ball close to 50%. He's, you know, six, seven, six, eight. So he can play the two and the three. So size is good for him. I think they're both pro prospects. And unfortunately, this is going to be the last that we see them in amazing blue uniform this year, but it's going to be a fun ride for us here down the stretch. And they are, yeah, they're phenomenal basketball players. And I don't know if we were going to have this same conversation. If, you know, say 12 months ago, we were talking about the pro prospects of Wagner and Livers. I'd say, yeah, Livers, you know, maybe a role player, second round or something like that. No, he's worked himself maybe to the first round, and Franz obviously keeps moving up charts. Yeah. What's the argument, Ira, for this team being better than the two teams we've thought all along? Gonzaga, Baylor, that's one, two. Baylor obviously falls after they come back from COVID. That hasn't been an issue uh, for Michigan. though. I, I know they didn't have issues inside their, their program, um, but what is the argument for why this is the best team in the country? The argument against Gonzaga is who they played since December. I mean, I, I like I don't want I, I hate to be part of that knocking on Gonzaga sure. consistently because they have no control over their league. But the fact is they haven't played anybody since December and their league's conference schedule is set up so they don't have to play until the semifinal anyway. It's just it's gifted right in. They haven't played an elite team of any level on you know a top 20, 10 offense or a top 10 defense or a ranked team in who are, who knows how long. At Michigan their lone loss was with Eli Brooks out. He was injured in that game. They've won every other game. They had the hiccup coming out of the pause was a half and a couple of minutes before Davidson's cheap shot uh, in the Wisconsin game. And they've been playing elite basketball, for, you know, for the last, you know, even before the pause, but they've been playing elite basketball. And I think that Gonzaga struggling for a half with Santa Clara. I don't, I'm not saying Gonzaga is not a great team, but if you want to tell me who, how they're playing right now, they're having struggles at a half against, you know, one of their weaker conference opponents. And Michigan is, you know, going to Columbus and beating a top five team. Michigan is hosting Iowa and beating a top 10 team. See what happens in the matchup against Illinois. But I would say that would be argued there. And with Baylor, they just lost to Kansas. They went on the road and lost to a ranked team. Michigan just went on the road and beat a ranked team. And it's, yeah. I can make it as simple as that. I think all three are great. I think Michigan is playing the best right now in the country, but I, in the end, they're all one seeds. I don't know if you're splitting hairs. Is it, right. If you're the one, the two, or the three, I guess maybe it matters based on what bracket they put you in with this S curve they're going to do in Indy. But you're one, you're two, you're three. Michigan right now, they're two in the net. They're going to move up in the rankings to number two. And I'm convinced that if they win these last three games, that they could jump enough votes in the first place in, uh, uh, with Gonzaga just because enough coaches and media will be like, you've won how many in a row to win the Big Ten? If they do that, at the end of the regular season, they may actually be the number one team in the country. Again, it doesn't matter. You got to do it again the next thing after that, but they have a chance to be there. Yeah. Um, Gonzaga has played one top 75 Ken Palm team since January. Michigan has played all top 75. I mean, that, that's true of almost every Big Ten team, you know, unless you played Nebraska a couple times and uh, they played them in December. So that, that's the argument there. And that's why, you know, being tested night in and night out, I think is so good for the Big Ten. Uh, going fun to how good the Big Ten is. It is fun how good the Big oh. Ten is. And on a quick aside, and I hope he, he can play tomorrow, but the, the shot to Io, the kid should, from state should have been suspended. And it's just unfortunate because you guys are playing well and we want to see this top five matchup, right? Yeah. That's what, that's what the big 10 back or good basketball is all about. We've had all these great matchups and I, this final stretch last week of the big 10 regular season, the big 10 tournament, this is going to be as good as it gets for must see TV viewing as we've had for big 10, you know, down a home stretch in a long time. 
Yeah, I want to get into the IO thing, but I got to bring this up, Ira, because I, I need you who's there on the ground to, to fill me in on this because the Illinois game was supposed to happen weeks ago, and of course it didn't, and Illini fans are still angry about it. I want to give Michigan the benefit of the doubt for this. They're postponing for safety reasons. It's not even them. I know you can get into this. Uh, but the women's team played the next day, and I just thought it was, it was not a great look uh, on the surface for Michigan. And Brad Underwood clearly, um, I don't think he's happy with the big 10 more than anything for kind of allowing the if you if you do governmental thing like the states to make these decisions these teams to programs to make these decisions so fill us in Ira what was behind that postponement because Illinois obviously would have rather played Michigan at that time than now with without we would have liked to have had that game happen then too um so the postponement was I will not single out what sport it was but an athlete from another sport that was not even in season yet or maybe they were in the beginning of season but regardless went home overseas, came back with the variant or one of those, the UK variant. And it scared the bejeebies out of health officials in the state of Michigan. And they, the state, they did not issue an order, but it was one of those that they gave a recommendation that you have to follow, right? So they recommended, and I use air quotes recommended. So they shut Michigan athletics down two weeks, no practice, no anything at all. You could do like your workouts at home. You can go on runs outside, but I mean, it's Michigan in January. So you're not exactly going outside a ton. So the government, essentially shut them down and then the school shut them down the ad was not happy the coaches were not happy nobody was happy but it was it was it was forced on them so two weeks are up and they have to be then go through the re, the return protocol of being cleared to play and by the time michigan was cleared to play on the men's side of things illinois and nebraska was scheduled for the next day the, the big ten had already redone the schedule michigan purdue which was on the women's side of things Purdue did not have a game rescheduled. Their weekend was open. Michigan had not. And Michigan, the women, because of, they had had nine games canceled, they were they had like three or four more games canceled than the men. They were still short of neat, uh, games needed to even get into the NCAA tournament. They were like 10-1 and one when they got shut down. So they were playing really well, but they had to get back. They waited. It was, I believe, the Tuesday. The game Michigan was supposed to play against Illinois and the game the women repl- did play against Purdue was on a Thursday. The women on Tuesday night or Wednesday, announced that they were playing Purdue on that Thursday because they had finally been given clearance to, to, to get back into competition by all the medical personnel, et cetera. All the protocols have gone through to return to play, you know, get, build your athletes back up, all the different things that they had to do. So they were given the clearance to play on that Tuesday night or Wednesday, if my timeline is correct. Uh, well, it, I just can't remember if it was Tuesday or Wednesday. But so the women, there were no conflicts for them to then play the game on Thursday. Purdue had no game Friday or Saturday. The women had no game Friday or Saturday. And for that matter, Michigan's women at that point had another week before their next game because of their bye in the middle of the season. So they would have had another week. If they didn't play Purdue that day, they would have had, it would have been 30 days between games and not even like 23 or whatever. It was some crazy number. The Big Ten had already changed Illinois' schedule and said Illinois is playing Nebraska on that Friday by the time Michigan's men's team was given clearance to compete. Because they were not given clearance to compete until the begin till the week had started, so Michigan didn't duck anybody. The Big Ten changed schedules, and if the Big Ten didn't change schedules, then in theory they could have played Michigan Illinois at the Chrysler Center that Thursday. But by the time Michigan could have said, "Hey, we're cleared and allowed to play," Illinois' schedule looked different. The Big Ten changed it, so Michigan didn't duck anybody. If you want to blame anybody. I completely agree with you. Blame the Big Ten because mm-hmm. that's who you should blame because the Big Ten changed the schedule. They should have known. Well, 
Michigan is coming off this pause. They might be cleared by this Thursday. Let's give them a chance to get cleared. They never gave Michigan the chance by the Monday or Tuesday to get cleared. The schedules were changed. The women's schedule was not. So the women still played. The men were not able to play. There's your long version of the story, but that's what happened. And this is is a frustrating thing uh, for me is the communication is so poor from the Big Ten for the last year. Really? The Big Ten has bad communication? And this wasn't a thing, Ira, in 2019, right? And, And I get Kevin Warren's taking over a really difficult situation, but the communication for him for the last year has been so, so poor. And given this league and even a program like Michigan in the eyes of Illini fans, a black eye, and it's unnecessary if you just communicate, communicate those things. Like, and that needs to come from the league. Like Brad Underwood doesn't hear from the big 10 about the Sissoko hit or, you know, talking about the schedule. Like he doesn't have any idea what's going on until the rest of us do. And it's like, what, that shouldn't be the case. And I feel, you know, if you would add Jim Phillips, like, hey, Kevin Warren has a really impressive background. I think he's an impressive person. But, like, he just doesn't have the relationships that someone like Jim Phillips would have had walking into this job. Yeah, now he's going off to the ACC. Yeah. And, I don't, and the Big Ten's probably going to look at that one in hindsight and as a big mistake. War, Warren has made some sides, some mistakes, and there's no question. And the biggest one is that he has no idea how to, to work the PR game. Because it's really simple. I when schedules get changed, it's, it should it should be a big public announcement. Because if you go back, there are somewhere. Yeah, Illinois is now playing Nebraska on Friday. It was just thrown in somewhere. Someone just like, oh, the schedule's been changed. It should this should be like the the, the the press release should have said Michigan has not yet been cleared to play. They cannot get their clearance until this day. The Big Ten is changing schedules. Yeah. Or Illinois can step and say, don't touch our schedule until we know what what Michigan can do. Because we'd like to play this game. Like the Big Ten has. Needless to say, the Big Ten has made a lot of mistakes. We could go back to how the football season played out or the beginning of it It's set. Like, there are a lot of them, right? Yeah. And, yes, nobody has gone through this before, and everyone's making mistakes, but it doesn't seem like people are making the same level of PR mistakes yeah. that the Big Ten is making. When the Pac-12 is doing better PR than you, you've got a problem. When you're com- when their commissioner is doing better PR than you, there's no, there's no question about that's the biggest issue because we have had a lot of conversations here in Ann Arbor about this, the ducking thing and – because Ohio State said the same thing in football. Of course, our turnaround was, wait, did that mean Ohio State the week before was ducking Illinois in football? Because the answer is obviously no. Well, some Illini fans did feel that. Some Illini yeah, fans Michigan did was gonna feel have that. No, well, they were going to have like four offensive linemen and one quarterback for the Ohio State and Iowa games. Like there were just, there, there were protocols were put in place for a reason so that you would not put teams in a position to be unsafe to participate, right? It's not that they were, they didn't have enough good players or they just were going to get rolled. They had like four linemen and a quarterback, right? Like you can't, you don't play. There's nobody's ducking anybody. You're following the protocols that were put in place during this very unique year. No precedents have been set that, you know, three years from now, ah, our star player has a torn, you know, uh, you know, busted his ankle. We're going to take this game off. We didn't create that kind of stuff. What's happened this year is unique and crazy and bizarre, has led to an amazing basketball season, yeah. but it has, the PR from the Big Ten has been horrific. And that is the biggest issue they've had this year. Because if you get that messaging correct, if the messaging – and Michigan didn't do a great job with messaging uh, coming out with the pause, but it was more, again, about the state than even the school. But if you get all that stuff right, then maybe some of the conversations are a little bit more tame. Right. And maybe Underwood doesn't give bulletin board material to Michigan, who you know they're now going to be that much more fired up for the game tomorrow because they think – because – Tell it was the same thing with Jim Harbaugh in the fall, but to tell Jawan Howard and his kids 
that they're ducking an opponent, it's pretty disrespectful. Mm. And they're going to take that personally because you're, they're not chicken. They're not disrespectful. They're not ducking. They're not, that's a disrespectful, it's an insult. Yeah. That's how they're going to look at it. Yeah, because he's mentioned the word. And, he's you mentioned don't need the to word. add fuel to the fire when it's the Big Ten's mistake and not Michigan's. Yeah, because he's mentioned the word character, right? And, and questioning character. Yeah, I, I could see why Michigan would be fired up. I get why he's frustrated, though, right? Playing 20 games, um, four games in eight days, mostly on the road. I just think the frustration of all of this is, is happening. But I think point any, in the right direction. Yeah, yeah point in the right, right. direction. I, yeah. And I think, I think a lot of it is pointed at the Big Ten. Um, but I, I just don't think, you know, some people could see this as, you know, Michigan's making the decisions not to play as many games and all of that, and that that doesn't sit well with some people. But Michigan didn't chew. Like, Michigan's playing as many games as they, they can fit into the windows. They're yeah. playing Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday this week, right? They're they're making them up. Last week, they, I guess they could have tried to squeeze in a game on Tuesday of last week, but you also, that means that someone else had to have, that they hadn't played, you know, that had to have an opening. Like, they figured out that the Michigan women can make up a game against Maryland on Thursday because they both have an opening midweek and the Michigan women have had a ton of games canceled, including yesterday at Minnesota. So yeah. this is on the Big Ten. This is Big Ten scheduling. But Mich- the Michigan-Illinois game is the first of three games in five days or whatever for them or six days. They have pl- they played, you know, it'll be their third game in six days. So they're in a similar kind of window. It's And there are a lot of teams playing Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, or Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday, or something like that. It's just the way this season is played right. out. And it's frustrating, and I understand the frustrations. And if I'm Underwood, I get frustrated about a lot of things, and starting with the non-fouls in the Michigan State game, right, mm-hmm. and the the lack of discipline against a Michigan State player that should have been suspended. Yeah, like, and so I understand that there's a. It's kind of like when you have if you and I, well, especially me, you know, still doing radio, I have a bad day. If I come and I'm cranky on the air because I have something bad going. Like, you can have right. other things all filter in. So if he's cranky, but just take it out in the right place. Yeah, take it out on the Big Ten officials. Take it out on the Big Ten, you know, leadership. But don't call the character into question about, you know, a, a basketball coach who's your colleague, your peer, and then a bunch of 18 to 22 year old kids who uh, that to me was ab- uh, over the, the, the line. Fans do it. I don't really care. Right? right. Ohio State were off over the top in the fall about it. I don't care. Illinois fans, you guys have been giving Michigan the business about it for a few weeks. I don't care. We have fun with it. It's fan talk. When the coaches get involved with it, it's it becomes more personal. And I sure. Michigan's going to take note. Not that they needed anything to take notice for tomorrow night, but they're going to take notice. Well, and they could be without their best player, right? Uh, it's been a week since that Michigan State hit, and a week is usually about the the drawing line for a certain injury, if that's the case uh, for Io DeSumo. But um, maybe there's there's a chance he comes back. It, it's hard to see Illinois having any chance. Without him, right? I mean, against this Michigan team, you're likely going to need a, a superstar like Iowa DeSumo, who's a, a legit national player of the year candidate, uh, even if Iowa fans fight for their guy. Like, Iowa's in that conversation. Uh, but let's dream, Ira, that, that Iowa comes out with a mask in warm-ups and all of a sudden he plays. Uh, what do you think of this matchup against Illinois? If the Phantom of the State Farm Center can come out and play, that would be great. Because <laughs> the conversations I've had with people here – we're unhappy that Io's hurt, right? Like, we want to see – like, I'm a basketball fan. Like, in the end, a win or a loss, more than likely Michigan's going to win the Big Ten anyway, right? Yeah. Even if they lose, more likely they're going to get another win, they're going to win the Big Ten in the regular season. Like, so they're going to get theirs. I want to see the best play the best. And that's what I wanted. And when the injury happened and we know he's at – like they, and even with the mask, it's not quite the same. Even if, so if he plays – it's just a, getting used to it the first game. So he's, he won't be 100%. So it's disappointing for me as a basketball fan. And I agree with you. I think Io is a terrific basketball player. I've been talking about Illinois when he, when the season started this year and people were talking about 
in Ann Arbor about Wisconsin or Michigan State. I was talking about Illinois first because I'm a big Iowa fan. I think he's terrific, and I hope he can play tomorrow night. It will make the game better, as you said, and it makes for and it makes for less talking points after if you are missing, you know, players aren't there, et cetera. Yeah, it's a. I mean, it's such a great matchup because these teams bring some old school basketball, right? Hunter versus Kofi is like an old school basketball matchup, and we don't get a ton of those, and maybe a little bit more in the Big Ten than normal, but still, we. It's a great old school basketball matchup. Throw it down to the bigs. Let them bang away. Don't call stupid fouls so they don't get the bang on each other, but call the right ones. And then that should be an epic big man matchup. And I think Michigan's going to, they will try to throw a lot of different looks at you, but they're going to let them go one-on-one to begin with down low. And then if you need the help, then they'll figure out where the help should come from. But they did it with Luca too. They did it with, um, they've done it. Uh, they did it the other night uh, against Indiana. They one-on-one, let them go, let them go one-on-one. And they made Luca look really inefficient. They make uh, Trace uh, Jackson Davis look really inefficient. And now Kofi's a different kind of player, a little stronger player, so it's a different kind of matchup. But they're going to try to make him look inefficient. And if they need to double down on him, what they're going to do is they're going to try to make him pass the ball, which we talked earlier. Yeah. He does not necessarily love to pass the basketball. They're going to try to force him to do that. Yeah, I just think the length and skill advantage on the wing for, for Michigan. I th- That's Michigan's advantage. Yeah. The one disadvantage is if you – the backcourt is still short. Yes. Now that's what, and this is where a game where Shondi Brown comes into play where, you know what, maybe you play more of Mike and Eli at the one splitting off and Shondi plays more at the two because he's 6'6", and that length is a really good defensive matchup against Io. Now, Eli Brooks is a, an elite defensive player, but he does give up a little bit of size. So you're going right. to throw different looks at Io, different players at him, but Shondi is going to be really important in that game. Eli is really important in that game. I, I love the, what the chess matchup is like, but I do I think that in the end, the length is probably going to give Illinois too much trouble. Yeah. But all it takes is a foul here or a foul there. You get Hunter on the bench. Maybe you get Hunter and Austin on the bench. And now the bigs are a lot smaller for Michigan. If Franz is, you know, if one of those guys has an off-shooting night, yes, you have other guys, but there can be things that go. But going into the game, the matchup to me seems to favor Michigan by a little bit. Both teams are what, top? Michigan's top five in both offense and defense efficiency. Illinois is top five in offense and top 10 or whatever in defense. So it's going to be a great matchup if Io plays. Yeah. Yeah. And that's their one advantage, right? Their, their one clear advantage is Io DeSumo. Like, I think Kofi and Hunter is probably a draw if both of them are on the four. Uh, and obviously, they got they get, they got the advantage on the wing. You know, Illinois at the two, maybe, because you got Curbelo, Frazier, and, and Miller. Um, but uh, it's just, it should be a fantastic matchup. I hope Io DeSumo can go. Uh, last one for you, Ira. Um, how does this Michigan team stack up to the two B line teams that were national runners up? Wow, it's a really good question. And we've started to talk about that a little bit. Um, this team will be the best regular season team of the bunch. And we've had our old fans. We like to call them our seasoned veterans. You know, the guys that saw Cassie Russell in the 60s or the <laughs> team that lost to the undefeated Indiana team in the Final Four in 76, try to make those comparisons. And they regular season team, right? That's how you have to conf- right. have, had a parse the conversation because Michigan has a national champ. Sorry to bring up a sore subject, but <laughs> you have a national championship team. To be the best team, you have to win a championship, right? So right. this team, though, is considered by many the best regular season Michigan basketball team in decades. They have not that, you know, the Fab Five was the last time to be the second year that when they were sophomores, the last time they were a number one seed uh, coming out of the regular season. But that team didn't win the Big Ten. This team's going to win the Big Ten and they're going to be a one seed. And, you know, maybe they win the Big Ten tournament, too. So, like, you don't. But as a regular season team, it is probably the best team that Michigan's had in my lifetime. Uh, and that says a lot. There's been a lot of talented teams. 
And again, maybe not the most talented. I like to have those conversations 20 years later because you don't know how far those guys, are, you know, what pros they're going to be, you know, what are they going to really be? But it's a really good team. It's a really balanced team. They play, so first of all, they're, as I said, top five on offense and top five in defense in efficiency. So they're balanced on both ends of the floor. But they're also balanced where if Isaiah's not shooting the ball all that well, you can go to Franz. If Franz isn't shooting the ball all that well, you got Mike Smith. If Mike Smith's not shooting the ball that well, you've got Shonday Brown. Like, there's a lot of guys. If Hunter Dickinson gets into a little bit of foul trouble, Austin Davis can get you buckets off the bench, and he's 6'11". If you need to play small ball, you can play Brandon Johns at the center position. They've got a lot of balance, a lot of diversity, a lot of uniqueness to their skill set. This team sets up really well to make a really long run. And Juwan has surrounded himself also with guys that have that kind of experience. Phil Martelli's been to an Elite Eight. Mm-hmm. Now, he hasn't been to a Final Four and won it, but he's been to an Elite Eight. So he's got a guy right next to him on the bench that has gone through that before as a coach. And Saudi Washington was on the bench for the Wolverines going to the Final Four and going to the championship game and winning Big Ten. So he's got the veterans on the bench around him as well. So best regular season team probably of my lifetime. How does that translate moving forward? Remains to be seen, but they have all the parts. Yeah, with Michigan, Illinois, Iowa, and I don't know if I'm going to keep Ohio State just because I don't know if they have like the the elite. Like I love EJ Liddell, but I just don't know if they have the elite level guard play. Uh, but it feels like the Big Ten has its best chance to get a title in 20 years. I, I know I the, can't believe that we've had this conversation so <laughs> many amazing. times that it's been since that Michigan State team in 2000. Ohio State is going to be in a lot of games because Holtman is a terrific coach, yeah. and they have very good basketball players. But as you said, elite is why. Illinois is going to have a shot to win every single game they play between now and whatever their last game is, as long as Iowa's on the floor. Same thing with, with Iowa. Well, if Iowa decides to play a little bit more defense, Just a little. they have an elite player, right? They have an elite player that allows them, but in particular with Iowa being a guard, you have an elite player at a guard position. You know, as well as I do in college basketball, yes, you have to have bigs that are solid, et cetera, et cetera, but you have to have the guard play to go along with it which is why Michigan set up really well. Illinois is set up really well. Ohio State is set up really well because Washington's a pretty good guard, and they got some other good players there as well. The Big Ten is stacked, and, yeah, it would be nice to see. I know you have a squad you'd be pulling for. I have our squad that we'd be pulling for, but it would be nice to have the Big Ten uh, get the monkey off our back. Technically, my alma mater is the most recent Big Ten team to win a national championship. They just weren't in the Big Ten when they when Maryland won it. Yeah. But they technically are the most recent Big Ten team to win a national championship. But maybe this is the year. It'd be nice in 2021 to finally win one since 2000. It's been a long, long, long time for what is a great basketball conference. Ira, always enjoy talking hoops with you, man. And as a fellow hoops fan, I would love to see a masked aisle on the court tomorrow night, no matter what the the outcome is, just because it's it's so good for college basketball. And, and to see Michigan and Illinois with two great histories uh, back near the top of this has been a lot of fun. So enjoy the game tomorrow night, man. Thanks, buddy. You too. I always enjoy talking college basketball, Michigan, Illinois, with my guy Ira Weintraub, WTK in Ann Arbor. You can follow him on Twitter, by the way, at Ira in Ann Arbor. All right, that's going to do it. We've talked long enough on this podcast. We've gone long enough, but I thought it was great stuff with Carp, great stuff on Michigan uh, from Ira as well. And a huge week of Illinois basketball ahead. Enjoy it, everybody. And you can enjoy it even more with a subscription to Illini Inquirer. This is our last couple days. Wednesday is our final day. They can get one of our best deals of the year. It's 50% off a VIP membership as well as 
full subscription. And this is complimentary. You have this as long as you are an Illini Enquirer member. You get a full subscription to CBS All Access. That'll turn into Paramount Plus next month as well. So sign up now for that. Everybody have a great day. Enjoy the Michigan game. We'll talk to you next time on the Illini Enquirer podcast.